This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. On the show, we have Nuri Turkle, a human rights attorney who is a trailblazer working against the Uyghur atrocities happening now in China. You may have heard some about the concentration camps and re-education measures the Chinese government has undertaken. We'll tell you all you need to know. Also, I'll tackle the mail-in voting U.S. Postal Service crisis. And now, the Nexus. Nuri Turkle is a lawyer and Uyghur rights advocate. He is also chairman of the board for the Uyghur Human Rights Project, UHRP, which he co-founded in 2003. He served as the president of the Uyghur American Association and as a commissioner for the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Nuri is the first U.S. educated Uyghur lawyer and the first Uyghur American to be appointed to a political position in the United States. Nuri Turkle, welcome to the Nexus. Thank you very much for having me. On the show, we like to educate our listeners by illuminating news developments happening now that many might not be aware of. I believe a good deal of the American public understands China is committing human rights violations, but may not know the specifics. What can you tell me as an introduction to the unique case of the Uyghurs in China? Uh, thank you very much again for having me uh, on your program. Uh, the Uyghur people are largely unknown to the American people, American um, audience, um, uh, general public uh, to this day, uh, simply because the uh, the Uyghurs live in a tightly controlled area uh, in the heart of Central Asia uh, that the communist occupying Chinese government called. Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. Uh, Xinjiang means a new dominion, a new territory. Uh, the Uyghurs proudly call their homeland, uh, ancestral homeland, uh, as East Turkestan uh, because of the historic significance of that name, linking to the uh, uh, short-lived uh, two Uyghur republics uh, existed, existed in their recent history. The first one is 1933. The second one is 1944. Uh, since uh, the East Turkestan Republic was uh, destroyed and taken over by uh, Mao's China in 1949 uh, with the help of uh, Stalin's Soviet Union, the Uyghurs have been suffering um, in various fronts, political, social, economic. Uh, Chinese government always uh, treated Uyghurs as the others. Uh, being others or being different have been unacceptable to the ruling uh, ethnic Han Chinese uh, people and the government. Uh, so the uh, the Chinese authorities uh, uh, under the ideological reformation transformation projects that have been implemented uh, by the communist government uh, over the last six, seven decades been subject to social engineering, human engineering, and now they have been subject to genocide. Hmm. Um, it is a loaded word, and I can explain to you why. Uh, the uh, uh, when you look at uh, the map, uh, sometimes you can see why certain governments or uh, authoritarian regime or leader uh, imposes implements uh, uh, some some of the brutal policies. The Uyghurs sit in the heart of the Central Asia, as I pointed out earlier. The Uyghurs' homeland, um, uh, the Uyghurs live in the heart of the Central Asian region called East Turkestan, as I pointed out earlier. Uh, that makes one-sixth of the China proper. Um, has a large international border, uh, geostrategically important region. Um, uh, shares borders, uh, borders with India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, even Russia. So... Um, Throughout the history, uh, since 1949, the, uh, the Uyghurs' homeland has been used as a kind of a buffer zone between uh, China and Russia. Mm-hmm. And now the United States and other uh, powers also uh, into play in the uh, regional uh, security and other uh, uh, competitions. Uh, so the, the area has never been uh, uh, overlooked by the Chinese government uh, for economic, social, political reasons. 
But uh, in the last three years, uh, they come up with this new policy um, um, uh, that I'd like to quote an official statement that uh, the government decided to break the Uyghur's lineage, connection, and roots by setting up or locking up the Uyghurs into this uh, modern-day concentration camps that is intended to teach like a school, uh, manage like a prison, and protect, protect like a military. And this so, is the last um, three years? Just last three years alone. And now, um, so when you look at it, uh, the Chinese government has been implementing uh, uh, some of the most brutal forms of um, policies that include uh, mass detention, uh, pervasive uh, surveillance, um, forced labor. Uh, some of them have been widely reported. Uh, this is why the, these are the, some of the hallmarks of the China's repressive policies leading to the, um, intelligent and reasonable discussion whether or not, uh, Chinese policies amount to a genocide and whether or not, uh, these camps are the same, similar type of camps that we have seen in the history that the world overlooked resulting close to six million Jews, uh, uh death, ex- extermination in the, uh, during the Second World War. Hmm. Um, so why do I use these terminologies? First of all, um, let's uh, look at the numbers. The Chinese government uh, initially did not acknowledge, even admit the existence of these camps and changed the names nine times. Of those nine times, uh, seven uh, names that they used includes the word transformation. That's a code word for uh, social engineering and human reengineering. Uh, and then, uh, they, they have been denying the actual number, uh, that, uh, they're not only disclo- not disclosing the actual numbers of the people who have been detained in forced labor camps, mm-hmm. concentration camps, and actual prison camps, as well as the orphanage, uh, camps, the, uh, the, the camps that they set up for the kids. Half million kids have been locked up in the, uh, state run orphan- orphanages. Right. Uh, they are, um, Twisting the facts and telling the world that these camps are set up to teach Uyghurs a skill set. Uh, and the various reports, including the one, uh, uh, or the, including the statement by, uh, former Assistant Secretary of State for Indo-Pacific Region, uh, at the Pentagon, uh, said last summer, uh, that the, his agency, uh, his name is Randy Shriver. Mr. Shriver said his agency believes that they're about Three million Uyghurs been detained in the uh, the camps, and also he used the, uh, the word concentration camps. He's not a loose talker. Right. I'm sure that he's been based on some uh, actual uh, information that that ordinary people won't have access to. Uh, so that's the number. So three million num- uh, people uh, believed to be taken into the camps. Yes. Uh, the Uyghurs, of course, disagree that uh, stating that the numbers could be higher. But let's just focus on three three million. Three million right. is the the four times the size of the district, of, the population in the District of Columbia in DC, nation's capital. That is almost the size of the population in Norway. So those people uh, with a real name, aspirations, family connections have been disappeared into those modern day concentration camps. Why do I call it concentration camps? When you look at the camps that we've seen in the history, Auschwitz, uh, Dachau, uh, Japanese internment. Uh, and others, uh, that share several uh, commonalities. One, those camps are designed to punish people, uh, or detain people based on their ethnicity, uh, religious mm-hmm. background. Check. Uh, uh, extrajudicial. Check. Uh, people don't know why they've been detained. Check. People don't know, detainees don't know when they will be released. Check. And once they're released, they don't know why they release, and no compensation is offered check. All of those commonalities are shared with the camps that uh, the Chinese set up for the Uyghur people. Understood. In addition to that, uh, similar to the camps uh, in uh, Europe, Auschwitz and Dachau, mm-hmm. Chinese built a crematorium around the camps. Radio Free Asia reported in 2018 that Chinese are looking for um, uh, 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 people to work on those uh, crematoriums. Uh, very disturbing. It's a very disturbing reminder of the, the history. I think what I want to drill down on based on everything you just said, though, is 
what I don't understand is what changed in the last three years or three years ago, I should say, that got China to this point. It sounds like this problem, quote unquote, for China, for the Chinese regime has been existing for decades. What was the big bang or was there one that that caused suddenly the concentration camps? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, so um, uh, why it's happening and why do they hate the Uyghurs that, this much uh, in the 21st century? Um, there's several explanations. Um, the different people uh, use a different uh, explanation. Uh, one, that the, uh, the Chinese wanted to have a full control of uh, this precious territory uh, that is the that is four times the size of California or the size of the Western Europe, which provides a gateway to um, provides China gateway to uh, Eurasian market, natural resources, and the fulfillment of their China dream through the uh, Belt and Road Initiative. The counter um, argument could be. Well, they didn't have to commit a genocide to achieve that goal. They were already militarized the region, securitized the region. They have a heavy military presence, at least around 3 million paramilitary troops. Uh, the cameras are all over the place. They didn't have to commit this kind of uh, practice or engage in this kind of genocidal policies. So that, that's one explanation. The other explanation is it's kind of uh, 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 supporting uh, kind of uh, helping to Chinese to advance, uh, which is they fighting against three forces, uh, separatism, extremism, uh, uh, and uh, terrorism. Uh, it's a political expediency when the Chinese, uh, it is nothing but political expediency when the Chinese said that it's, uh, they engage in these genocidal policies for the purpose of achieving, uh, stability. Um, the people already been scared. Uh, there was no any violent incident since 2015, even if there's anything that they can cite uh, or um, without even independent verification. Uh, Chinese always say something three times that becomes true. Chinese said that uh, there has been a violent incident and the Western media uh, copy and paste and reported as if it's a true uh, verifiable incident that we can, through investigative journalism, or uh, civil society representation of FOIA requests that we have in the United States to verify certain things. It does not work like that in China. But ironically, whenever the Chinese makes any types of claim, the international community so quick to uh, accept as if that is something that they have been verified mm -hmm. or seen or heard or have first-hand information. So the Chinese have been claiming that there has been uh, there have been uh, violent incidents, um, and I don't dispute the fact that some Uyghurs are frustrated and disgruntled, uh, sure. wanted to take it to the Chinese police or Chinese presence, but it does not justify collective punishment. So you cannot, this, this applies to any government, uh, any regime around the world, you cannot, there's, this should be zero tolerance for collective punishment. If there's someone, if someone commits a crime, that person should 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 be uh, held responsible for it. So, if there's a group of Uyghurs wanted to take a, a, a violent action against the Chinese government, that group, that individual, should be held responsible, not the entire population. So, um, do, do do the governments have responsibility uh, to justify the security measures? Yes, we've seen it in our country here in the United States. It, right. it if it's done legally, uh, appropriately. Uh, then it is okay, and it's 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 it is it is it is um, a permissible behavior. But this this is not what we're seeing, and this this is one of the reasons that the Chinese always cite through their diplomatic um, representations in UK, here at home, Canada, Australia. But the international community has been not buying into that argument. And then the third is uh, the the racist context. Uh, this brings us to the genocidal claim uh, that the Uyghurs are rightfully making and the legal scholars have been articulating. Um, the Chinese government has a very specific objectives uh, when they formulated this policy. They have been engaging forced sterilization. They have been uh, separating families. They have been targeting the social elite, the custodian of uh, Uyghur cultural heritage, and also 
they have been forcing Uyghur women to marry Han Chinese individuals by force and through incentives. Uh, there has been a wholesale attack. Uh, and the Chinese government officials publicly been saying that they are all helping the Uyghurs to become a normal human being. Mm-hmm. So the, the last time I checked, the Chinese government or the Chinese people were not asked or given authority to decide who is normal, who is not. The Chinese ambassador to Washington, uh, Sui Tian told the Reuters in 2018 that his government is helping the Uyghurs to uh, transform into normal human being. Uh, and 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 uh, you can have a, a colorful right. response um, uh, in a, a family conversation, but that's the typical mentality <laughs> that they comfortably telling the world that they're trying to do. Um, okay. So and also and also they imposing the Chinese way of life. They also in these camps and the society uh, trying to replace the Uyghurs' centuries-old ethno-national heritage, spiritual life culture with that of Xi Jinping thought, that is a new religion. Mm. This is also the same case for the Tibetan people and Chinese Christians. The Xi Jinping thought is a new religion in China. They have an app on the phone that you compel to, or a compulsory app that you need to install and study Xi Jinping thought. And there's an app, uh, there's a program in the camps and society that you have to study Xi Jinping thought. Uh, and uh, with the ultimate attempt to replace it with spirituality. So the, the racist context of uh, the Chinese uh, uh, policies mm-hmm. is so evident, but some people just not comfortable to talk and kind of get into, I mean, then either wittingly, unwittingly uh, happen to be in an echo chamber uh, trying to explain that the China has a legitimate reason or has a reason to take these security measures to achieve quote-unquote, social stability. Understood. Um, what is the United States doing to address this situation? I'm an American citizen by choice. Um, I could not be prouder of my government um, and um, uh, American people in general have been who, that have been um, extremely supportive, uh, vocal, um, and uh, uh, we have seen uh, responses, uh, legislative, executive, that are um, historic uh, and unprecedented. The United States Congress passed a legislation um, with 413 votes in the House, uh, unanimous consent in the Senate in May uh, to address the atrocities committed against Uyghur people. That law, um, uh, signed to, uh, signed and, and enacted, um, that law was enacted on June 17th. Um, uh, it's already been implemented. Uh, since the enactment of the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act, the, uh, current administration, um, imposed sanctions, uh, as directed in this legislation on, uh, Chinese officials and an important entity. Uh, earlier, uh, the administration imposed uh, sanctions on uh, four Chinese officials, including one who is sitting in a Chinese Politburo member, uh, Politburo, which is a very powerful government uh, entity. Uh, and also, uh, uh, recently, the, uh, current, uh, the current administration imposed sanctions on uh, a, uh, a paramilitary unit uh, called Xinjiang Cons- uh, Production and Construction Corporation, uh, uh, XPCC, that believed to have 800,000 shell companies around the world, uh, believed to be uh, uh, producing and sending products uh, made by uh, enslaved Uyghurs, uh, polluting the global supply chain. Uh, and also, um, the State Department imposed visa uh, restriction on Chinese officials who are responsible for some of the atrocities, uh, some of the human rights violations. That is, um, and also um, the Commerce Department, uh, to this day, uh, added 48 Chinese entities to the entity list. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, of those uh, 48 uh, entities, uh, 21 of them are government entities, uh, including the entire police department in the Uyghur region. Uh, and also on the uh, uh, public uh, statements, uh, uh, as far as the public statements are concerned, 
uh, senior government officials in the Congress and executive branch have been uh, calling the Chinese out for the crimes committed against Uyghur people. That um, includes Vice President Mike Pence, uh, Senator uh, Rubio, uh, Cotton, uh, Senators Rubio, Cotton, uh, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Bob Menendez, uh, and also the uh, diplomats, uh, uh, Secretary Pompeo, uh, Ambassador Brownback, and others, have been publicly raising the uh, uh, issue, uh, telling the world that the uh, this is the largest internment of ethnic minorities since the Holocaust. Mm. Telling the world that China has its own league when it comes to violating human rights. Telling the world that uh, the treatment of the Uyghurs by the Chinese government is the stain of the century. So uh, that has been orchestrated, uh, uh, coordinated uh, responses from the both executive and legislative branch. And uh, recently, four senior uh, uh, administration officials, attorney general, national security advisor, uh, FBI director and secretary of state made a speech on China. And all of those speeches included a uh, U.S. government's concern uh, on the uh, Uyghur crisis. So it sounds like the Trump administration is really leading on this issue. Is this um, a direct contrast to how the Obama administration was or were these particular problems not so present when Obama was in office? Uh, you know, that's a great question, um, but I, I, I like to be as simple as possible. Um, and this is not Obama's problem, Trump's problem, Bush's problem, but this is uh, the, the, the world's problem now. This is why, here's why. Initially, when, the, the, uh, when China brought into the, uh, the world economic community, thinking that uh, economically, technologically, societally prosperous, advanced uh, China will be naturally become just one of us. Instead of us changing China, change, uh, China changed us. So uh, the 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 Chinese effort um, described as uh, by three C's: coercive, corrupt, corrosive um, influence operations. Um, naturally change the mindset of the people in the government and outside of the government and also is in, uh, in the business communities. So the criticizing China, uh, some people even said uh, during the Obama year that you don't argue with your banker. That's precisely what the Chinese government wanted you to think when you about to criticize it. When, they, when it comes to social justice issues, um, the Hollywood, the NBA are very good, uh, very vocal. Uh, addressing social injustices uh, in our society. But when it comes to China, they are so good at self-censoring. Uh, and also the government, um, this was a common practice in the Obama administration that the engagement must continue. Uh, we should not uh, pick a fight with the Chinese. Uh, we should uh, try to find the area of cooperation to work with them. Uh, it did not get us anything. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence was so right when he said the Chinese have been eating our lunch for mm. so many years. Um, I am glad that um, uh, uh, senior government officials, lawmakers, or people in power, and including those in the business community, uh, starting to realize that we have not been in level playing field. Uh, we have been subjecting ourselves uh, in a business, economic, diplomatic, uh, even in a health arena uh, to Chinese manipulation. I think status quo is untenable. Uh, we're seeing changes. Um, uh, uh, this administration, uh, as you perfectly pointed out, identified a few areas that we have, uh, we have been uh, abused by China as a country uh, in the right. last 20, 30 years. I mean, I don't want to get too political in this because I know that's not your domain so much. But in the presidential election, has the Biden campaign addressed this at all? And if Joe Biden were to win, what could we expect from that administration? A continuation of Trump policies or do you think we would um, retreat or how much on the radar is this with the Biden camp? Um, I like to believe that um, uh, Vice President Biden is um, 
is well aware of uh, what is happening. Uh, he's uh, he has decades long uh, foreign policy background, um, legislative background, judiciary background, and also someone with a track record of establishing entities like Radio Free Asia. Um, I I believe um, uh, Vice President or future President Biden uh, would understand the issue. But what I worry is that uh, people who advise him or takes up a senior position drags co- the country back to the old days, uh, the engagement or re-engagement with China. Uh, you, all, you make changes when things are not working. Uh, because of the things that we are so concerned on the technology, uh, education, uh, uh, free speech, uh, digital um, uh, de- uh, democracy now it's turned to digital authoritarianism that have been tested and promoted by the Chinese government and spreading around the world. Uh, 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 last time I checked, um, they have been already uh, in the process of being adopted by 80 some countries. So it, it's a threat to our um, democratic principles, um, national character, and long-term national interest. Um, I, I, find, I find it uh, uh, disappointing that some of the people uh, who have been speaking uh, for the past administration or the future administration on the democratic side without uh, presenting a specific policy initiatives, they um, criticizing the current administration. Criticism is not a strategy. Expression of concern is not an action. Uh, uh, words are nice, but actions are better. So I'd like to see uh, the Biden uh, national security and foreign policy team put out something more specific. Uh, for example, if they don't like uh, the current administration going after Chinese officials or Chinese entities under the Global Magnitsky Act, what do you have as an alternative? Uh, if, the, uh, if the current administration's going alone approach did not work, what other uh, multilateral approach that uh, you think may work? Uh, what are the identifiable countries or the uh, world leaders might be willing to take a similar position as the United States? What kind of uh, uh, international bodies that you think that you can work that the uh, current administration failed to work with? So these kind of questions need to be addressed point, point, point by point. Generalized criticism, I, th- I don't think it serves the interests of our government or our country. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, perhaps in the next two and a half months of the campaign, we will hear more about that, especially in the foreign policy debate that comes up. But I believe that's not until October. But I want to pull back for a minute and hope you could tell me some about your personal history. I know you are originally born in this region in the region overseas, and you were born in what was called a re-education camp. Can you tell me what did that entail? Um, I was born in a re-education camp during the height of Cultural Revolution. Um, My uh, young mother, uh, who was a few months um, pregnant with me, was locked up, um, and uh, she sustained injuries. Uh, during her incarceration, resulting her body uh, put in the cast. So she delivered me um, uh, while she was in cast chest down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spent the first several months of my life in this world in, um, in a solitary confinement with my mother. Um, the significance of that brutal history is this. Um, I never thought that I would be talking about the brutal way that I was brought in this world, this, into this world as much as I have uh, in the last three, four years. Um, and also, I never thought that we will be talking about the type of collective punishment that uh, my mother and others uh, who are in a similar situation were subjected to in the year 2018, 19, and 20. Um, I, I always believe that... Um, the international community um, 
believe in something when they uh, put this in the education system and daily uh, education of the children that uh, never again, um, uh, uh, never again is something that should be a guiding principle. But never again is happening again in China. Um, for the lo- for the most part, um, the international community is still tiptoeing around, uh, still talking about human rights abuses or violations. This is not a hu- typical human rights violation. This is a genocide. Uh, the the uh, the comparison, the, another comparison, the the way that um, uh, my mother and I suffered uh, during that uh, during that period uh, was a result of uh, the ideological warfare that the Chinese uh, leader then uh, Mao Zedong in, uh, launched. It was a nationwide problem for the entire country. But the, uh, the, the new type of uh, collective punishment, uh, the transformation, uh, i.e. Uh, human engineering or re-engineering, is, 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 um, has a very strong uh, racist connotation. So um, it, it is a, it, the words are very similar. Uh, the repressive policies are similar. There are a lot of parallels can be um, made. But uh, the ultimate, pro- uh, ultimate goal uh, is 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 um, it's hard to put in a proper word, uh, other than just to say that 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 they have a genocidal intention uh, when they formulated the current camp uh, construction management and expansion. So uh, and also you know another um, thing. Um, uh, so also there's another aspect of uh, my personal background. Um, when I left the uh, the country called People's Republic of China, uh, mm-hmm. making way to America, uh, just like any uh, immigrant uh, came to the United States uh, early on or new arrivals, uh, oftentimes you have one hope, which is to start a new life, work hard, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that this country uh, provides to all of us that is not available in any country around the world uh, or anywhere around the world, that you always like, well, I will have the ultimate political freedom. Um, I will have the ultimate uh, individual free freedom that no government, no one will uh, interfere. But it's not, it has not been a case uh, for me and my fellow Uyghur Americans. The Chinese are here with us in our daily lives. They monitor, survey our lives, uh, they take hostage of our family members, loved ones. Uh, they've pressured the Uyghur Americans uh, to stay quiet and don't say anything um, uh, with the threat of uh, retaliation, with the looming threat of retaliation. So uh, I, I, I like to say that um, I'm free, but not so free uh, because our Chinese are right here with me. Uh, has been here with me. I thought that those days are over. Uh, apparently, it was not. Um, it has been lingering around. But thank God that uh, we have a law now. Um, uh, since J- June 17, uh, I thank God that we have a, a legislative mandate that directs the uh, Federal uh, Bureau of Investigation to um, investigate and uh, take necessary measures to protect uh, Uyghur Americans from the uh, Chinese harassment and intimidation. Right. And is, so it sounds like you're pretty hopeful for, um, at least the, maybe the near term that reform could happen. Is that, do you feel like the United States and the global efforts are actually working or are they, um, is this such a, a monumental problem that we need much more to happen for there to be justice for Uyghurs. If the world, uh, the world in the national community takes time um, to respond uh, or show no response, the uh, Chinese will get away with this. Uh, they will succeed uh, by destroying this proud nation and the Uyghur nation, this historic people, the Uyghur people, this uh, culture, the civilization that contributes so much to the humanity. Uh, it will be sad to see that happening. Uh, if the Chinese uh, uh, fail, they may start causing bodily harm. 
recently, a frontline documentary um, uh, showed a, a chilling uh, in an exchange in which um, uh, one of the Chinese security officials who were interviewed in disguise uh, stated that uh, we fooled the Uyghurs uh, to, to tell them that we will train them. They gone mad. Uh, we cannot release them into society. What we need is a mental hospital. Um, if they will be listed in a society, they will become social criminals. That is a very telling uh, statement from a security official. Uh, told that to the reporter on camera being broadcasted as part of the uh, frontline documentary. Um, so they not gonna, they are not in a position to release them. Uh, they tried, uh, based on the Radio Free Asia reporting since the COVID crisis started. They have been uh, transferring the um, uh, Uyghurs, some of the Uyghurs, to uh, assembly lines to work in the um, uh, factories to mm. produce products coming to the shores of uh, the coming to the uh, the marketplace and international community. That includes, as reported in the New York Times, uh, the PPEs, protective uh, personal uh, equi- protection equipments. That includes uh, PPEs that have been um, uh, utilized or used around the world. So, uh, and they got the attention from uh, our government. Uh, CBP uh, detained or seized uh, 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 hair uh, hair products, mm-hmm. uh, the the consumer products that have been produced in labor camps. So, the labor camp option is not an option for them, at least uh, because there's also growing. Uh, vigilance uh, have been displayed in the business community and the United States government issued a business advisory um, advisory to the business community. And then uh, what if they wanted to uh, transfer them to actual prison as they have done, uh, they will have a prison population or um, overcrowded prison population uh, situation. The Chinese government states that the Uyghur population is around, is around uh, 12 million. So if they end up locking up uh, three to four million of it, its Uyghur population in the uh, uh, prison camps, they will have a serious problem in managing and running those prison camps. So what do they do? Uh, um, they may do something unthinkable um, that keeps me awake at night. So um, it is incumbent upon uh, the people in a uh, uh, free, free societies, in a liberal democracies to act. If never again means anything uh, other than just a nice headline or reminder of the ugly history that uh, similar type of uh, feigning ignorance cost millions of millions of lives and well on world's watch during the Second World War. History is strangely repeating itself, um, like the way that uh, Hitler's Germany glorified with 1936 uh, Olympics. The international community uh, rewarded China with 2022 Winter Olympics. Uh, in 2008 Summer Olympics was kind of paved the way for them to launch the, this international soft image. And also we are uh, in a similar situation as the Nazi Germany that used forced labor to advance its economic interests. We're seeing it in China uh, with respect to enslaved Uyghurs uh, working on assembly line, uh, feeding the global supply chain. We're also uh, seeing the same type of appeasement that we have seen in the second, uh, during the Second World War. Uh, uh, we're seeing uh, more Newell Chamberlains than uh, Winston Churchill. Would you say, I mean, since you could speak to this, um, is there more suspicion of people coming from the peoples of Republic of China now to the U.S. than there was when you emigrated 25 years ago? Yeah, um, I can see that. Um, I, um, I am against any type of racial profiling. Uh, but there's also, uh, proven cases, uh, that some people misused, uh, abused the very freedom that was given to them, including federal employment. Um, I think it's legitimate, uh, perfectly sensible thing for, um, uh, our government to focus on China's uh, influence operations in various sectors of American societies. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, 
this is a fascinating deep dive into what is a problem that, as I said at the top of the broadcast, a lot of people I feel don't know about. I think a lot of people um, have been turning a blind eye to what China has been doing. And it is also probably unfortunately uh, slanted and colored by uh, people's feelings of President Trump. I mean, there's clearly a lot of um, animosity and angst. I don't need to say that because the approval ratings say it for me, but yet um, it's, I believe in an editorial fashion, it's unfortunate that this issue, which seems very cut and dried and in previous generations, when there was more bipartisanship in this country, um, Americans are not coming together to um, rally for the Uyghurs as much as they should, because I think a lot of people see this as possibly a Trump issue. Do you maybe agree with that? I, I don't agree with that. Um, the President Trump just happened to be uh, the, um, the owner of this issue, uh, maybe by design or unexpectedly. Um, let, me, let me rephrase this. President Trump just happened to be uh, uh, identifying this issue uh, at a time that is urgently needed uh, in order to protect U.S. Uh, economic interests, uh, American technology, uh, uh, social values, and democracy. I think this is um, this is uh, this would have been done uh, one way or the other. Uh, I think the Chinese government, uh, uh, for one, underestimated the American people's intelligence. They have been trying uh, to get away with this, uh, but sooner or later it would have been. Um, would have been um, uh, acted upon by this president or the next president. Uh, I think this 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 has a lot to do with America waking up than Trump being the center of this uh, fight. Uh, in the, at the same time, I do acknowledge that uh, President Trump's uh, senior uh, advisors, uh, senior cabinet members, uh, have been spot on. Uh, uh, for example, uh, FBI director um, has been spot on when he's uh, making public statements about the threat the CCP is, uh, the China's Communist Party is posing. Uh, Secretary Pompeo uh, is another example. Uh, National Security Advisors, uh, the previous and current ones. So uh, it, it, it is it is unfair um, uh, for. Uh, President Trump and his team uh, criticize for the strong stance that they have taken uh, to address the uh, looming or existing threat posed by communist China. Let me get this out uh, as clearly as possible. China is a threat mm -hmm. to America. Communist Party is a threat to democracy. Uh, we just need to be honest with each other. Um, uh, this is not a rocket science. Uh, the, we, uh, the, uh, even before the Uyghur crisis uh, surfaced, um, there was some um, concerns uh, uh, privately expressed by serious government officials that it is impossible to get anything done in China or with China on the issues that are so uh, uh, important for uh, our country's interest. Uh, so, you know, it just happened. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do call on uh, the people who are uh, critical uh, of President Trump should also look at uh, the damage that uh, the Chinese has done through this engagement policy that previous presidents, going back to Clinton, Bush, and Obama, uh, the cause to America's interest, national security interest, economic interests, diplomatic interests, societal interests. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, that's very helpful to, to illuminate the situation and it's good to offer credit where it's due. Well, we need to wind up here and I wanted to mention that 
Nuri Turkle can be found as a guest on a wide variety of broadcast outlets, including CNN, BBC, Fox News, and can be found at Nuri Turkle on Twitter. Commissioner Turkle, thank you so much for joining me in the Nexus. Thank you very much again for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure discussing these issues with you, despite the grim nature of the topic. <laughs> Absolutely. And we will be right back. In the last week or so, I haven't thought as much about the U.S. Postal Service in, well, ever. Who really thinks about the mail? You put a letter in a mailbox and three days later it arrives where you sent it. The Postal Service has been so remarkably efficient that you just don't notice it. Maybe at Christmas time I think about how many things I have to ship or the gifts I'm receiving. But even then, the USPS does a damn good job. Yet all of a sudden, I'm getting an education into the intricacies of mail delivery like there's no tomorrow. If recent news were a book, it would be titled, Everything You Didn't Want to Know About Mail, But They Told You Anyway. Mail sorting machines, those blue boxes you never think about on street corners, postal overtime, and of course, mail-in voting. I voted absentee several times due to professional circumstances, but evidently that's not the same thing as mail-in voting. Or is it? Some say, usually on the liberal side, that so-called mail-in voting is the same thing as absentee, while those usually on the conservative side claim mail-in voting is like dispensing free candy to schoolchildren. You want a ballot? Everyone gets a ballot whether you're a citizen or just arrived through an underground tunnel from Guatemala. The reality is that mail-in ballots are neither of those things, and it's a concept I'm not thrilled by in general. Why? The mail-in ballot execution adds some steps to the voting process, and if I've learned anything from voting for more than 25 years, it's that casting your ballot is complicated enough. Why do so few young people vote? A big reason is you have to take the time to fill in an application to register and then actually go in person during set hours to cast your ballot on election day. Already, those are steps to take. Now with mail-in voting, you have to make sure you're registered to vote in the step I just mentioned. Then you have to request your ballot a sufficient amount of time in advance, but not too soon, like after Labor Day, but not too late either since that ballot has to get to you in time. Don't forget to actually fill in the ballot with your choices. Then, if you're using the Ballyhooed U.S. Postal Service, you have to mail the ballot in well enough in advance that it's received by Election Day. See how many steps there are? Doesn't this sound stressful as I say it? But there's more. Imagine all the steps above except for the final mailing it in stage. Instead, you take your ballot, once you filled it out, of course, and drop it off at a voting registrar's office. What the hell is that? Until this imbroglio, I literally never heard of this idea, and I can't be the only one. Drop your ballot off? God bless the people who go through this trial and tribulation to register, secure your ballot, fill it out, and then drive somewhere to drop it off. You have way more patience than I do. I've always advocated for motor voter registration, where you are registered to vote automatically, when you get your driver's license. That's one less step for the kids. And I strongly believe in nationwide early voting, where the government forces states to have the polls open for at least two weeks before election day, so you can leisurely stroll into your polling station at your convenience and cast your ballot. None of this antiquated one-day voting stuff, especially if you don't get a day off for it, Imagine working a nine-hour day that Tuesday and then waiting for an hour or two or three afterwards on your feet to vote. That's draconian. Now, of course, you're thinking, what about those who are afraid to vote in person? Obviously, the pandemic rages on and there's no end in sight. Why should I have to go out if I don't want to? I hear you and say a few things. This is an unprecedented time and your vote is vital. If your state has early voting, there is far less of a chance to encounter long lines or lines at all if the polls are open 10 to 14 days before election day. With democracy on the line, this is the epitome of your civic duty, 
and it will likely be a safe environment, probably to a fault with lots and lots of sanitary procedures in place. Most public life has resumed anyway. Gyms are open, stores are open, and the supermarkets never closed. Now is the time to go out for a short excursion to the polling place. With all the corruption of the Trump administration and the very blatant attempts of the president to quash mail-in voting, is now the time to pick a battle with Trump? Sure, you may want to hashtag resist him by mail-in voting, but he has the federal government apparatus on his side. Hate to break it to you, but you can't ensure your ballot will make it if you mail it in. If you must vote by mail, do the lengthier drop-off option. As long as you know where to drop it off, and that's not always so easy. Lastly, I do subscribe to the whole life goes on, must go on belief. Americans did vote in person during the Civil War in 1864 and did vote in 1944 as World War II was very much still happening. Let's not forget the midterm election during the Spanish flu of 1918. Of course we are scared, and as someone who lost his father to coronavirus, I take COVID extremely seriously. But I also take the election as seriously. There's no way I'm mailing my ballot in amidst the current conditions because I sure as hell want my vote counted. It's such a cliche said every four years, but this really is the most important election of my lifetime. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and is produced by Colin Martin. Thanks to Daniel Lupian for his assistance on this episode. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide. We'll see you next time and be well. Thank you.